millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello, welcome back to Eli Reads. So far, we've been reading Gustave Flaubert's Salambo. Now, I'm not going to lie, it's dense. Dense with characters, dense with plots, descriptions, and explanations of battle movements that can, frankly, be a little hard to follow. So we're going to step away from all that for a minute. This is a bonus episode where I'm going to read you something different. It's still Flaubert. But this time, you're going to hear passages from Flaubert's diaries of a trip he made to Egypt a few years before writing Salambo. Egypt, as you might know, is on the north coast of Africa, like Carthage was. And from what we can tell, Flaubert was there for the same reason many of his European compatriots went to the Middle East, to experience a radically different culture, to bathe in otherness a little bit, and to have sex with African prostitutes. Now, I'm not going to shy away from the distasteful aspects of this. The power relationships between Westerners and Africans in this era were, were extreme already, and much more extreme once you throw in the sex work dynamic. So that is the context for this piece. And if it wasn't anything more than that, I wouldn't be reading it to you. But there is something more, something I didn't expect. Flaubert doesn't idolize these women. Or if he does, it's not in the same way that Matho idolizes Salambo. He sees these women's concreteness, their fleshliness, what others might call their ugliness of their situation, of their bodies, and he luxuriates in the description of it. There's a tenderness in how he describes them that comes through even in the translation that I'm using, which was very kindly given to me to use with permission by Eric Mader. It's also interesting to me because you can hear Flaubert's gift for description getting a real workout. I hope when I read it I can do it justice, but to me it's so vivid, like the best passages from Salambo, he puts you there, right in the middle of it, and you see what he sees. So here it is. Uncomfortable Western gaze... Power Dynamics, Warts and All, Extracts from Gustave Flaubert's Egyptian Diaries, written in 1849. While we were having breakfast, a thin Alme came to speak with Joseph. She had narrow temples eyes painted with antinomy, and a long veil which she held down around her elbows. She was followed by a pet lamb, 
the wool of which had been dyed in places with yellow henna, and the nose of which was muzzled by a thin strip of black velour. A very fuzzy animal with feet that looked artificial, not leaving its mistress for an instant. Bambe led the way, accompanied by the lamb. She pulled open a door, and we entered a house with a small courtyard and a stairway facing it. Atop the stairway, facing us, surrounded by the light, standing out against the blue background of the sky, a woman standing in pink trousers, around her torso wearing only a dark violet gauze. She had just come out from her bath. Her firm throat smelled fresh, something of the odor of sugared terebinth. She began by perfuming our hands with rose water. We entered on the second floor, at the top of the stairs, one turn to the left, into a chalk-white square room, with two divans and two windows, one looking out on the city. From the latter, Joseph pointed out to me the large house of the famous Safia. Kuchuk Hanem is a tall, splendid creature, whiter than Arab women. She is from Damascus. Her skin is a bit loose. When she sits on her side, brown folds form on her flank. Her eyes are very large and black, her eyebrows black, her nostrils fine and narrow, broad shoulders, full breasts, apples. She wore a large tarabouk decorated at the top with a convex gold disc. In the middle of the disc, a small green stone imitating emerald. The blue tassel on her tarabouk was spread out in the form of a fan, falling down to and caressing her shoulders. Along the front border of the tarabouk, and running from one ear to the other, she wore a small branch of white artificial flowers. Her curly black hair, too thick to be brushed, was parted into two thick tresses that were joined again at the back of her neck. One of her upper incisors, on the right side, was partially blackened with decay. For a bracelet, she had two thin bands of gold twisted one round the other a triple collar made from large chunks of unworked gold, her earrings, convex gold discs with small beads of gold running around the circumference. A long line of blue writing was tattooed on her right arm. She asked us if we wanted to enjoy ourselves. Maxime right away requested to enjoy himself alone with her, and they descended to a room on the first floor. After Monsieur Ducon came Monsieur Flaubert. The musicians arrived, a child and an old man with a patch on his left eye. Both of them began scraping and scratching on their rababas, which is a kind of small, roundish violin, from the end of which extends an iron bar that is planted in the ground for support. The rababa has two strings of horsehair. Also, the neck of the rababa is very long in relation to the body of the instrument. Nothing is more raucous or disagreeable, and the musicians go on forever with their playing. Finally, one has to yell to get them to stop. Kuchuk Hanem and Bambe start to dance. Kuchuk Hanem's dance is as brutal as a kick in the ass. She tightens her vest up around her throat in such a manner that her two uncovered breasts are pushed one against the other. For a belt, she wraps around her a brown shawl with thin gold stripes, tied somewhat like a bow tie and having three tassels hanging from ribbons. She raises herself now on one foot, now on the other, an amazing spectacle. One foot resting on the ground, the other comes up in front of the tibia of the former, the move made with a swift, light leap. 
I saw this dance depicted on old Greek vases. Bamba prefers rather to perform the dance in a straight line. She progresses forward, lowering and raising one of her thighs with a sort of grandiose rhythmical limping. Bamba has henna on her hands. She served as a chambermaid in Cairo in an Italian house, and she speaks a bit of Italian. She has trouble with her eyes. All in all, their dance, except for Kuchuk's step mentioned above, is far inferior to that of Hassan el-Bilbesi. Joseph's opinion is that all beautiful women are bad dancers. Kuchuk has picked up a tarabouche. She has, when she plays it, a superb pose. The tarabouche is upon her lap, supported on her left thigh. The elbow of her left arm is lowered, the fist raised, and the fingers she plays with are spread out and falling in sequence on the tarabouche's skin. The right hand strikes and marks the rhythm. She leans her head back. Her face takes on a serious expression. Her torso is arched backwards a bit. These women, and even more so the old musician, absorb a considerable amount of raki. Kuchuk dances with my tarabouk on her head. She escorts us to the end of her quarter and climbs alternately upon our two backs, calling out charges like a true Catholic girl. The cafe frequented by these ladies is a hut with beams of sunlight coming in through the branches of the ceiling and making bright spots on the mat where we are seated. We have a cup. Kuchuk's joy in glimpsing our two wicks and in hearing Max say, La ila ala Muhammad rasun Allah. We go back to Kuchuk's place. The room was illuminated by three wicks and glass lamps full of oil mounted in iron chandeliers attached to the wall. The musicians are at their post, Small cups drunk very precipitously. Our gift of drinks and our sabers have their effect. Entrance of Safia Zugaira, a small woman with a large nose, deep-set black eyes, bright, ferocious, and sensual. Her collar of coins jingles like a stagecoach. She enters and kisses our hands. The four women seated in a row on the divan and singing. The lamps cast trembling patterns onto the walls. The light is yellow. Bamba wore a pink robe with long sleeves, the whole made of see-through fabric, her hair covered by a black scarf in the manner of a fellah. All of them sang, the tarabouches sounded, and the monotone rebecks made a low, raucous bass piano. I go down with Safaya Zugaira, a very corrupted woman, a writhing and ecstatic little tigress, I stay in the divan. The second coup with Kuchuk. Kissing her on the neck, I could feel her round metal collar against my teeth. Her cunt stroked me like folds of velvet. I felt ferocious. Kuchuk danced the bee for us. As a preliminary, Fergeli and another sailor were sent out to close the door. Being, until then, witnesses to the dances, they had formed the grotesque part of the tableau, seated in the background. A small black veil was placed over the child's eyes, and a fold of the old musician's blue turban was brought down over his. Kuchuk undressed as she danced. When the dancer is completely nude, she keeps only a scarf with which she pretends to try to hide herself, and then she finishes off by tossing away the scarf. This is basically all there is to the bee. In general, she danced very little and wasn't much in the mood to dance that dance. Joseph was very animated, red-faced and clapping and thumping with his hands. La and oh, en ya oh. In the end, when having hopped with her special step, her legs passing one before the other, 
She returned, out of breath, to flop onto the corner of her divan, where her body continued to move with the rhythm. She was tossed her large white trousers with pink stripes, which she pulled all the way up to her neck, and the eyes of the two musicians were uncovered. When she was kneeling, the magnificent and entirely sculptural outline of her patellas. Another dance. A cup of coffee is placed on the ground. She dances in front of it, then falls to her knees and continues dancing with her torso, playing her crotalas continuously and moving her arms somewhat as one does when swimming the frog. As she continued with this, little by little her head was lowered until she had come all the way to the edge of the cup, which she then took up with her teeth. She raised herself up again with a leap. She didn't much worry herself that we returned to her place to sleep, even though sometimes robbers would come when it was known there were foreigners staying there. The guards, or panderers, she pointed them out to us by saying, Rufian, buono Rufian, and by giving them a few swift kicks in the ass and slaps for effect, had gone to sleep in a room between the pleasure room and the kitchen. That night, during the dances, I went out into the street. A very bright star shone in the northwest, above a house situated to the left of ours. Complete silence. No lights anywhere, except in the window of Kuchuk's house and the sound of the musician, and the voices of the women singing. Her servant, who spends the night in the room off to the side with the guards and Joseph, is an Abyssinian slave, a Negro woman with a round scar upon each arm, like a mark, or a vesicatory but not so regular from the bubonic plague. Her name was Zineb, and in the night when Kuchu called to her, she dragged out the first syllable, La Zineb, La Zineb. We went to sleep. She wanted to stay on the edge of the bed. Lamp. The wick rested in a small oval glass with a beak. Her body was covered with sweat from having danced. She was cold. After the most violent of frolics, coup, she fell asleep with her hand in mine, our fingers interlaced. She snored. The lamp, whose faint light barely reached us, cast upon her forehead the image of a pale metal triangle. Her little dog was sleeping on the divan upon my silk vest. She began to cough, and I put my cloak on top of the cover over her. I could hear Joseph and the guards chatting in lowered voices in the room next door. I watched her sleeping. I thought back to all the other nights when I watched other women sleeping, and all the other nights I had spent wide awake. I thought back over everything. I let myself sink into sadness and reveries. I found bedbugs moving about. I amused myself by squashing them on the wall, which eventually made upon that chalk-whitened wall long, black, and red arabesques. I could feel her belly against my rear. I was lying on my side in a kneeling position, and her muff, warmer than her belly, excited me like a white-hot iron. Another time I lay half asleep, with my finger hooked through her collar as if to keep her from escaping should she wake up. I thought of Judith and Holofern, how sweet it would be for one's pride if in leaving one could be sure to leave behind some memory, to know she would think of you more than others, that you would stay in her heart. At 2.45 she awoke, another coup full of tenderness. Our hands were locked together. We loved each other, or at least... I believed we did. 
While asleep, her thighs or hands would jerk abruptly as if by a sudden involuntary shiver. I smoked a shisha. She went to talk with Joseph. I go out into the street. The stars are shining brightly. The sky is very high. Kuchuk returns, carrying a pot of burning coals. For an hour, she warmed herself, kneeling next to it. Then she came back to the bed and fell asleep. The pot of coals was at the head of her bed, kafas made from palm branches, and she slept, her thick blanket folded into a point over her head. In the morning, we quietly said our farewell. extract from Flaubert's Egyptian Diaries. There is a lot more to that. You can buy uh, the book, which is much fuller, but I think you'll agree that that particular uh, selection of passages is is very vivid. Now, Eric Mader, who made this translation, has a little footnote here uh, that is really worth reading. It's it's a little extra bit that I think is, is interesting. Uh, he says that Flaubert lent his manuscript of this travel journal to Louise Collet, a married woman with whom he had recently broken off an affair of several years, and Collet found the detail concerning the bedbugs repugnant. In a letter, Flaubert defends himself. He says, You tell me Kuchuk Hanem's bedbugs degrade her in your eyes. As for me, Flaubert says, it was just that that I found enchanting. Their sickening odor mingled with the perfume of her body, dripping with sandalwood. I want there to be a bitterness in everything, an eternal slap in the face, right in the midst of our triumphs, and even desolation itself accompanying our enthusiasm. This reminds me of Jaffa, where in entering I breathed in simultaneously the scent of the lemon trees and that of rotting cadavers, the torn-up cemetery allowing one to see skeletons with the flesh half-rotted away, while at the same time the green boughs of the trees balanced over our heads their golden fruits. Don't you sense how this poetry is complete? How it is the great synthesis? So, I hope you enjoyed that. I'll be back next week to read you the next chapter in our regularly scheduled installment of Salambo. See you then.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.